Well, I trust you've all had a wonderful holiday season. I know some of you were a little bit sick during the time. <laughs> I've talked to several different ones that went through a little uh, battle with flu and such. But you're all back, so good. I'm glad I didn't get it. <laughs> uh, just a couple of thoughts today. Thinking about and always do at this time of year, the new year coming and all of that, uh, all that that brings with it. And um, <clears throat> the message that Rick spoke about three weeks ago, well, the, the Sunday before Christmas, if you, haven't, if you weren't here and you didn't get to hear it, you really should go online and listen to it. It's really one of the uh, very, very insightful and uh, I, I told him after this, I said, it's, honestly, Rick, it's rare that I don't hear something that I haven't thought about. But you brought us some things that I hadn't thought about in ways that I haven't seen. And I deeply appreciate that. And I'm going to, to talk about that a little bit uh, at the end of the message and tag team on some of the things that he said. Um, is your outlook pretty positive most of the time? Are you a pessimist or an optimist? That's a question. Are you? You a pessimist or an optimist? Somewhere in between? Or? I want to be an extreme optimist. That's what I want to be. I think life would be just grand thinking that way, don't you? You know people like that, don't you? I mean, somehow or other, when their feet hit the floor in the morning, they are just, <laughs> everything's wonderful, it's going to stay that way, everything's going to turn out great, even if it doesn't, I'm going to be optimistic about it, even if it doesn't. Love those kinds of people, love being around them. One of the reasons I love being around them is because they're always happy, seems like. You know, we got a lot to be happy about. I, I read this, uh, it was on the sports page, uh, about this particular coach, I'm not going to name him, he's a defensive coordinator, and they're thinking that his job, he may get fired because defense hasn't performed. I'm talking about Miami, the Dolphins. <laughs> Quite like he had hoped and they had hoped and all of this. And he's a relatively young man, and he, he said, he's... He just keeps doing his job. No matter what anybody says out there, he keeps trying hard, doing his best, and so forth and so on. And he says, you can learn from the past. You can learn from the past, but you can't live in it. And he said, you can't live in the future because it's not here yet. So I do my best to live in the day. And he says, I want to be a relentlessly peaceful person. And he said, because he's filled with gratitude at all the things that he sees in his life that are positive, and there's a lot of those things if you just take a look, regardless of who you are. So I want to be that way. Now I want to read you a couple of quotes from A.W. Tozer. God's goodness is the ground for all our expectations. 
The whole outlook of mankind might be changed if we could all believe that we dwell under a friendly sky. Do you think you live under a friendly sky? God's goodness is the ground of all our expectations. God, folks, is good. God is good. Our Heavenly Father is good, and He does good. Psalm 119, King David said, You, speaking of God, are good, and you do good. David saw the truth about our Heavenly Father, that He's good. Everything that God has given or will give is good because God is good. James 1.17 says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift from above comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Our Heavenly Father is good and He does good. It's very important that you believe that and that you consider it on an almost daily basis. That your Heavenly Father is good. He's very good. And His goodness is independent of you and your actions. He's good whether you're good or not. <laughs> He's good whether we're all good or not. Uh, many of you have heard me say this, and this is also a little thing in the end of my book. But I, I got to tell it again. I, I think about this regularly. I mean, honestly. This has been over 20 years ago when I saw this. Uh, it's a Dennis the Menace cartoon. And I've never forgotten it. I still have it somewhere. Uh, the paper version. Uh, for those of you that remember what that's like to get a newspaper with, you know, made out of paper. And in this, in this cartoon, in the first frame, it's Dennis and uh, Joey, his little friend, walking up the sidewalk toward Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Wilson's house. Second, that second frame shows Mrs. Wilson greeting them at the door, second, bringing them in. It shows a frame of them sitting at the counter with a glass of milk and some cookies, and they're drinking and eating cookies. Next frame shows them leaving. Hadn't been a word spoken yet. Next frame sees them leaving, walking down the sidewalk as they're leaving. And uh, Joey turns to Dennis and he says, what did we do good to get cookies? And Dennis said something that I've never forgotten. He said, we didn't get cookies because we're good. We got cookies because Mrs. Wilson's good. We don't get cookies because we're good. We get cookies because God's good. All blessings come from the Father of lights. All good things from the Father of lights. In whom there is no change, no variation, no shifting, no shadow. His goodness doesn't shift around and change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and forever will be. God is good. You have a good Heavenly Father. And so do I. A really, really good one. 
And God is completely good. Everything that God is, every attribute of God, God is completely, wholly, fully. He is completely good. He's good at a level that you and I have a hard time understanding or relating to. His goodness is so good that it's hard to relate to. It's difficult to even wrap your mind around it that God is as good as God is. He's completely good. Moses in Exodus 33, you remember that, uh, asked God to show him, show me your glory, show me yourself. That's what the word glory really means is the entirety of who someone is, everything about them. Show me your glory, show me that. And God himself says back to Moses, when he inquired of the possibility of seeing God's glory, he said, I myself will cause my goodness to pass before you. So out of all of the things that God is and could have shown Moses, what he chose to show him about himself was his goodness. God is good. He's good. And all of creation, in the creation story itself, or in the act of creating the world and the animals and people, all in the creation narrative, all of that was an extension of God's goodness. Because when he got through creating, what was it that he said? When he looked out at his creation, what was his expression then, his response to what he saw? It is very good. Do you know why his creation was very good? It wasn't because of the skill with which he did it, which, you know, that's pretty impressive, or the methodology that he used to do it, or even his purposes in doing it. He saw it as being very good because he is good. He sees good because he is good. All of creation is an expression of God's goodness. All right, listen to Romans 2, 4, if you would. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Don't ever think lightly of that. His kindness, forbearance, and patience, not knowing that the kindness, the King James says goodness, and several other translations translate that word goodness, but kindness fits also. Do you think lightly of, his riches, uh, of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness or goodness of God is what leads you to repentance or a changing of your mind? It's his goodness that helps you change your mind, helps you repent. Change your mind. Helps you change your mind about what? <laughs> Helps you change your mind about the fact that God is not angry. He's good. Helps you change your mind about whom? About God. You, you, you and I haven't always thought in our minds all the time that God is good. 
but I do now. What happened to me? I repented. I saw something that changed my mind about him. It also changes our mind about ourselves and about others. If you see yourself as being bad, you're going to act bad, badly. If you, you see yourself in his image as being good, from that you're going to think good. So it, it leads us to repentance. His goodness leads us to repentance. Uh, this is, this is <clears throat> repeated many times in church houses and will be today all over the world where the pastor, it's kind of a ritual, so to speak, and it's not that I disagree with it, I agree with every word of it, but the pastor will stand and say before the message, God is good, and the people respond all the time. All the time. Now, you young ones don't know that, but <laughs> God is good all the time. Now, there's not a bit of that that I disagree with. I, I believe God is good all the time. But do they really believe he's good all the time? Do they? Most people? Do they really believe that God is good all the time, or is that just a hope so? Is that just a... <laughs> Uh, an affirmation of maybe from their viewpoint and I'm not being critical of them you see what you see but from their viewpoint I don't think they think God is good all the time now I think they think when I'm good God is good When I'm good, God is good. But when I'm not good, eh, not so much. Not so much. I mean, you may be good in that he didn't kill them on the spot for whatever it was they did, but it's about as far as it goes. It's the whole mindset of do good, I'm blessed, do bad, I'm cursed. It's a transactional goodness. that is so deeply rooted in the thinking and the minds and the hearts of so many people until they, can't, they just can't get past it. They, they can't get past it. So I, I don't know that they really believe that God is good all the time. Transactional goodness. Because we pray, we're good. God provides. He's good. Because we repent, feel sorry for our sins, that's what they mean by repentance, feel sorry and try to stop sinning. When we repent, we're good. God forgives. He's good. Transactional goodness. You could apply that to his love too. That his love really in many ways is a transactional thing. 
based upon how we act and based upon our, our obedience or based upon some other thing like that. You see, it really matters how you view God's goodness. It really, really makes a difference in your life on a personal basis and on a daily basis in the way that you think, the way you approach life, the way that you see the world, the way you feel, whether you're happy or not. It impacts all those things in a very direct way in all of our lives. Do you see yourself living under a friendly sky? Under the jurisdiction of a good, good, good God? Regardless of what circumstances are happening or what's going on in your life. I know a lot of you have gone through some very difficult things. And all of us will if we haven't. Very difficult things, all of us. But is your understanding, is your, is your life, I guess, led by this constant reaffirmation and thought, God's going to make all things right. Why? Because he's good. He's good. Now, just, just think about this for a minute. First John, in 1 John, we see that God is light, he's life, and he's love. Those three things are all nouns. God is light, he is life, he is love. Those are all three nouns. Every other descriptive of God is an adjective. You know, which, what kind of, or how many, you learned that in school, I hope. A descriptive term. So what, what kind of heavenly father do we have? Well, he is love. So it means he's loving. Adjective. But he is love. Some would say, well, God is holy. I agree with that. God is holy. What kind of God, what kind of loving Heavenly Father is He? He's a holy, loving Heavenly Father. So holy's not bad. Holy's good. Holy's not something to be afraid of or shy away from. Holy's good. My loving Heavenly Father, my Heavenly Father who is love, is holy, and I'm glad He is holy. And holy doesn't mean never sinning. That's not what it means. Holy means otherness, really. He's, he's other than anything else. <laughs> he's He's the total absence of evil of any sort. He's holy, set apart, different. He's holy. I'm glad he is. God is just. The just is another adjective. God is just. I... I'm, 
I believe God is interested in justice because he's just. Now, a lot of people would see God's justice balancing out his love. You know? See, God is just because he is an infinite, omnipresent, omniscient being who is infinite and he's love, wouldn't you think that he probably sees justice in a way that you and I don't or you and I would struggle to see? Wouldn't you think so? See, our sense of justice is a lot like, you know, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth in some ways, is it not? I mean, is it, is it, isn't it really kind of like that? You do bad, you get punished, you do good, you get rewarded. That's our idea of justice. But since God is love and he is just, I believe his justice will always be loving justice and restorative justice. That his heart is always to restore things to their original intent and original purpose. That's what Jesus did, by the way, in what he did in his death, burial, and resurrection, his life. He restored us to our original form and intent. God is just. God is holy. Adjective. God is good. That's another adjective. Now, if God is good, and him being who he is, as I defined him a moment ago, infinite, immutable, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, love, light, life, he's all, that. he is all of that. And he's good. That means that he is really, really, really good. <laughs> he's I've said this before, and Rick's quoted me too. God is better than we think. I don't care how good you think he is, he is better than that. He's better than that. He's good on a plane and a level that's very, very challenging and difficult for us to relate to and understand. Now that ought to be good news to the best among us and certainly good news to the worst among us. He's good. In every circumstance. He's good. God is good. He is good. Here's my point in this this morning. Everyone has to do this. I don't care who you are. If you're going to live with a, 
If you're going to dwell under a friendly sky, okay, so to speak, if you're going to live with this consistent sense of awe, gratitude, this consistent hope, this consistent deep down belief that God's got everything taken care of and it's good, regardless what my eyes see or my emotions feel. Ultimately, God's good. If you're going to live that way, there has to come a shift in every individual's thinking. You have to repent. Change your mind. You're going to have to do this. Everyone has to go through this shift if you're going to live that way. And it's a shift from living to obtain God's goodness to living from His goodness. You live from it, not to get it. Does that, that make sense? You, that all of life really is lived with that fundamental basis, that fundamental reality as a part of your thinking. He's good. And that's a shift that's very, very difficult for a lot of people to make. Uh, because a lot of different things. Mostly, it's difficult because most people, even if they grew up in church, or they're at the cradle to the grave, you know, if, if they've been taught something, some things, by people who believe it, by people who are good people, by people who have good intentions. I, I'm not saying that. But we, we were, and the church has been taught some things that make it almost impossible for people to see anything else. It's so deeply rooted in their thinking. And generally, it's a, it's a measure of desperation that gets you to shake you up enough to get you out of that mindset. When you get desperate enough, you, you want to make some changes. When your misery factor rises above your fear factor, then you begin to look at some other things sometimes. That's not the way all of us came to see things that we see, but a lot of people have. You just give up. You just say, I, I can't do it. I, I can't stay on this treadmill. I can't live this way any longer. And I'm not living this way any longer. And if this is the truth, then God... Go ahead and do your best. But I can't do it. I'm done. And the focus is on sin management. Oh, it's on sin. The, the, people's, the church focused on sin and sins and trying to get people not to do them anymore or as much. Just slack off on it some even. It will help. Uh, and whose definition, by whose definition is this sin thing? Who, who defines it for us? Well, you know, the Ten Commandments and all the laws and all that stuff, but no, that, no, not really. Who defines sin for us? It gets to be a big mess, folks. It gets to be a nonsensical, non-logical mess. 
That's what happened to the, to the Pharisees and the rabbis who added all these extraneous laws and rules and regulations and so forth to regulate daily life for every person, every Jew. Same thing. It's a rabbit hole. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more and more. There are people who right now, I mean, some church situations that believe probably 95% of what you do or think is a sin. <laughs> You're just full of sin. You're just a bunch of sinners. Sheesh. Sin, sin, don't sin. How to overcome sin, how to... I mean, it gets ridiculous. It really does. The old saying about the Baptist, for instance, and assemblies are the same way, but the Baptist, the reason the Baptists don't believe in adultery is because it might lead to dancing. <laughs> it's about that silly. I remember when uh, our elderly, eldest daughter, Wendy, she's not elderly. I'm elderly, she's not elderly. When she and Joey were, uh, we were planning their wedding back 24 years ago, <laughs> um, planning their wedding, it was at our church, and uh, somebody told me, I don't remember who it was, Pastor, do you know that we have a rule against dancing in any of the buildings at the church? I said, no, I wasn't aware of that. I said, who made that rule? I don't know. So I called an elders meeting. I said, my daughter and her, her uh, husband-to-be are practicing a dance that they're going to do at their reception, and it's going to be in our gym area, and there's going to be people dancing there. Now, I want us to, if this is a rule, y'all know if this is a rule? Elders, I ask them when they're in the room. Do y'all know about this rule that you can't, even, you can't dance in church, in the church buildings? And all of them said, no, nah, we didn't know that. And, uh, and one of them said, well, we danced at my wedding. And, and I said, I guess it's all right to dance over in somewhere else, but not in the buildings because the buildings are holy and you can't dance in the, them. <laughs> so we unanimously passed a new rule that we can dance, and we did, or they did. I think... Uh, My son-in-law went to a school where you get demerits for spitting. Spitting on the grass. Like, good grief. <laughs> if you need to spit, spit. Just... <laughs> it, it, gets, it gets overwhelming. It gets weird and silly and nonsensical. I want to I show you something. that is really quite remarkable to me. 2 Corinthians 5, I want you, if you have that, read verse 17 through 19. It says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Right? The old things have passed away. Yes. What old things? All, all old things, including the law. All old things have passed away. That means they're dead to me. They're gone passed away old things passed away behold new things have come 
Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Who is us there? Who reconciled us to himself through Christ? Who, who is that us? That's everybody, as you'll see in the next verse. That's everybody. Reconciled us through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself, not counting their trespasses, translated sins, sin, sin, really, singular, not counting their sins against them. God's not counting sins against any single person. That's what he said. And he's reconciled them and was able to reconcile them to himself simply because he doesn't count them against them anymore. See? That doesn't mean they're reconciled to God. It doesn't mean they even know about it. it doesn't mean they're believers. It doesn't mean any of that. It's just that the door is open. All you got to do is see it. Understand it, recognize it, receive it. That's all. It's a fact. It's the truth. He's reconciled everybody to himself. He's taken care of sin forever. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sins of the what? The world. All of them. All of them. Now, here, here's the point. This word translated sin is a Greek word, hamartia. Rick talked about this some. He talked about the, our fatal flaw. Wasn't that what he called it back there in that message? It was a great message. Hamartia. Hamartia is a translated sin or trespasses. Trespass. Hamartia is singular. It's made up of a, a compound Greek word and wrongly translated sin, in my opinion. Hamartia, ha, which is a prefix, really, of the word. Ha, which means un or dis, like undo or dismiss. And martia, from the... Uh, the, the root word of martia is meros, which means form or origin or being. Therefore, the real sin, folks, isn't lying and cussing or whatever. The real sin that plunged human beings into darkness was the one of Adam and Eve choosing to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What that did was this. Hamartia became a part of our thinking. Dismissing our origin caused us to dismiss our original form, to dismiss our original being, to dismiss it or undo it, undo our original form in our thinking, our original, our origin, our original origin, 
original being. That's what Jesus restored, folks. That's what he restored. He restored us to our original design of God. When he looked upon Adam and Eve at the creation and said, this is very good. Very good. Very good. Don't dismiss ever your original form. What you were created to be. We are partakers. We are, we, we share his divine nature. We are his children. We are in union with him. We share his divine nature. And as such, we can be exporters of his goodness to everybody else. We have a ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? Telling everybody they've been reconciled to God and showing them that. And living our lives acting like we believe that we live under a friendly sky. Regardless of what takes place. Don't undo or dismiss your original form or origin or being. Okay, somebody want to come and play? (laughs) Glad to have you back, bud. Just a quick story. Again, some of you heard me say some of this anyway, but there's a little bit of it I'm not sure I ever said. Uh, Years ago, again, I don't remember how many, at least 15 probably, when Paul Young wrote The Shack. Well, someone gave me that book and said, you ought to read this because there's a kind of stir about it. Well, I took it with me on a trip. I, was, I think I was in California or somewhere preaching. And it was a long flight back home. I remember that. It was a three or four hour flight. So I determined I was going to read the book while I was flying back home. And I, never, I remember the seat I was sitting in. It was a window seat. And I hate window seats. This was back before I was quite as bad as I am now with this claustrophobic thing. But, whew. but that helped me take my mind off of that. I just want people to leave me alone let me read. I'm over there in my corner, and I read the whole book, read it all the way through. 
and was profoundly moved by it. And you can argue theologically about it all you want to. I just know I was profoundly impacted by it, especially the end of it. At the end of the book, the character, the main character in it, uh, saw his dad with the father. And his dad wasn't a good man, but he saw his dad with his with with our father and his dad had been restored to his original form He's, he saw what his dad was created to be and what he was like and he was amazing And when I read that, I saw my own dad the same way. Even though there's lots about my dad that I, I admired, uh, there was a lot that I didn't. <laughs> there was a lot that I did. A very charismatic man, very, very intelligent, smart. A lot of great characteristics in his life that... Uh, pretty much were washed away through alcohol. But I love those parts of him. And I saw him without a flaw. I knew at that moment that my dad was fine. I saw him as he really was intended to be, created to be. And it just undid me. I mean, I was just glad nobody was trying to talk to me because I'm just crying. Just, ooh, ooh, ooh. And then at the end of the book, you've heard me say this part. That Jesus is entering. It's, it's light, Jesus. And there's you know, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands of people, miles and miles of people. And this is, you're so far away, but he's coming in, you know, and, you know, realistically and logically, you couldn't even, I couldn't see him or he could see me he's too far away. But I, I see all of that. And all of a sudden, it's like he locks eyes with me. And I see him clearly. He locks eyes with me. And with a smile on his face, he said, Clark, I'm particularly fond of you out of all these. <laughs> God is good, folks. You remember that all year, okay? Remind yourself of it. And remind yourself that the sky is friendly. He has good intentions toward you. It's all he can have because he's good.
Okay? Well, let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for these dear people and the ones they love and the ones they know. I pray, Lord, that we all can live in, a, in this shift of thinking about our Heavenly Father. Thank you for the tremendous hope it brings, Lord, to, to us all. That you're better than we think, even. You're bigger than we think. You're greater than we think. You're more loving than we think. You're more kind. You're more generous. You're more everything than we think, Lord. And we're so glad you are. That we are sons and daughters of this great God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.